welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the impact of IFRS 16, the new leasing standard, on an old standard, IS 36 impairment. And a person who loves IS 36 is Mr. Ian Selfridge. Welcome back. Hi, Ruth. Good to see you again. Ian told me he's wearing his tie today just for his radio voice. It is indeed. It's and it made me cupboard. almost laugh through that whole introduction <laughs> section. So I'm quite pleased I've managed to get through the opening words. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. So very exciting. New standard, old standard interaction yeah. always causes issues. So let's start at the top. And um, what impact does IFRS 16 have on our lovely IS 36 impairment test. Specifically, let's start with value and use. Right. So yes, you're right. IS 36 has that test, two test requirements, uh, look at value and use, look at fair value. It is, if I preface this by saying it's fair that most people's original thinking process was brand new accounting standard coming in, the economics haven't changed. So although we might have some different numbers on the balance sheet, we wouldn't expect to have to worry about impairment, would we? That was definitely uh, my view. Definitely your view, right? And, but <laughs> I'm sure I even wrote a paper saying it won't have an impact, it'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. But, but when you actually then get into the detail, because you are recognising different numbers, so basically your right of use asset and your lease liabilities, things have changed on the balance sheet. And when you look at a value and use calculation, pretty much every single part of that calculation changes. So as a quick summary, you look at your cash generating unit, that would now include your right of use assets. So we have more assets to look at than we had before. And you're going to compare that with cash flows that are now different to where we were before. Those cash flows are different because you strip out the financing costs of paying off your leases. That's not part of a value and use cash flow model. Um, You would strip out your lease actual costs because you'd be looking at what you'd be paying off in terms of the all the financing, as I say, is not part of those cash outflows. So you have more cash net from the perspective of value and use, but then you have to discount it back to a present value number, and your discount rate might be different because you're now looking at a discount rate or a whack that incorporates leasing. Again, the theory might have been in the past that that's what we would have done, but it isn't necessarily what you see in practice. So when you look at how the value and use calculations put together, Pretty much every number's changed. So it is quite hard to start from a premise that says it's all going to be the same. So there's a lot of moving parts. There's a beautiful, this is the downside of podcasts. Ian has got a beautiful picture that how you describe this to me in front of us. But the good thing is it's in one of our publications. It's in so one of we our will, briefs, which we'll mention later. We'll on. mention later. Yes. Okay, perfect. So everything basically in value is going to change. So yes. it could potentially yes. lead us to an impairment, which we'll come on to in a second. The other thing which is interesting, obviously, right of use, you might only have a short time. You've got the right of use asset, say, mm-hmm. I don't know, make it up, let's five years. But when you're looking at the impairment test, you're looking at a CGU of a business, which obviously will be running for you're longer for than a life five of years. That. Yes, exactly. that's quite right. So, And that is an interesting question that's popped up because in the good old days, when you just had operating leases, you had a, a monthly or a quarterly or a yearly cash outflow to pay for your lease and what you would assume in your model is well we just pay that regularly when we get to the end of the lease I think the typical working assumption is well we'll just renew it with something similar and we'll just keep showing those cash outflows but you're right because now the right of use asset in IFRS 16 captures the lease terms payments and puts them into the asset that you're you're testing but you don't have the cash outflows for the lease term you then have to think well when I get to the end of my lease term all of a sudden my right of use asset is now gone yeah but I still need an equivalent asset. So I either have to go and practically buy it or release it. 
the practical answer to that is you, you need to tweak your cash flow model to first of all take out the original operating cash flow payments for the leases. But then when you get to the end of your lease term, you would put back into your cash model, your cash flow, an outflow to represent the fact that I do have to pay for this thing in the future. Now, in the fullness of time, as you go forward into the future and you then enter into a new lease, you'll have more right of use assets, more lease liabilities at that point, and then you would again adjust your model. But broadly speaking, what you have now is you have a hole at the beginning because you have no cash outflows, but you do have an asset. And then after that, you have the cash outflows, but you don't have the asset. Yeah. And again, it's hard to describe that, but when yeah. you look at a piece of paper, it does make sense. <laughs> yeah, I definitely need an Excel spreadsheet for yes. that one. And I, I'm hearing something in my head, compare apples with apples, which we That's always right. say from exactly. them. Exactly so right. I'm guessing you've got to make sure always both sides yes. are um, making sense. Yeah. You mentioned up front there that obviously IS36 doesn't just talk about value and use. You mm-hmm. could, it's the higher of value and use or fair value. So does this have any impact on fair value? Well, again, this is where the, the statement that says, well, surely if the economic characteristics haven't changed, the fair value of my assets have not changed. And that is actually more broadly accurate. You know, Just because you've got an accounting standard that tells you how to represent things, that doesn't in itself change the value of those assets. The, the thing that is different, again, is you have a different collection of assets to look at. You now have a right-of-use asset in your CDU that you didn't have before. But it is fairer to say that from a valuation perspective, you wouldn't expect this CDU to be worth more or less because you're now looking at assets in it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So um, let's say the impact of IFRS 16 did cause an impairment mm-hmm. and we were looking at value in use. The other thing, once we've got an impairment, is we need to allocate it to the CGU. So anything we need to think of there? Well, a reminder, particularly if you're in the, oh, leasing has just been applied, I've got some new assets I've not seen before, oh dear, I have an impairment, obviously I write down my right of use asset. But that's not how IS36 works. IS36 has effectively a waterfall. It says the first thing you do is you get rid of any goodwill that's attached to your CGU. Get rid of that. Now, if you've still got an impairment to make, you look at the CGU as a whole, And the rules are you you take your impairment and you pro rata across all of your individual assets. So obviously that's not just the right of use asset. You have to write your other assets down as well. There is a a kind of save. There's a a low threshold where you don't write an individual asset below its own fair value. Um, So the, the key here is that if you have an impairment in a CGU with right of use assets, all of that impairment will probably not end up against the right of use asset. Okay, so you could... Just based on having IFRS Mm. 16 now in your impairment model, you could have an impairment and that could go totally against goodwill. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Good old accounting standards making perfect logical sense as usual. Um, Right. Okay. So understanding that now, next bit. So we talked about um, if you have an impairment, Mm. you need to think about your allocation. If it does cause an impairment loss, is there anything else people need to think about? Well, again, the kind of basic things of if you've impaired an asset, there's a couple of things you need to remember. First of all, obviously, you impair it down to its recoverable amount, which would then continue to be depreciated. But the thing that you should think about is, do I need to revisit my useful economic life? So for a right of use asset, you would typically put that on the balance sheet and amortize it off over your lease term. But if you've got an impaired asset, you might need to consider whether actually will this asset be in use to derive economic benefit for me for the remaining lease term or actually will we stop using it beforehand? So it's just a reminder to say, look at your useful economic life. Okay, good. Extra thing to look out for there. Another thing which I think is always a little bit tricky in impairment costs is um, central costs yeah. and how you allocate those to impairment tests. Again, has IFRS 16 had any impact on that? 
it has a practical impact. So there's, there's nothing that says, oh, you should do things differently because of IFRS 16. Yeah. But in the good old days of IS 17 and operating leases and all these leased assets being off the balance sheet, you didn't have many assets to look at and test for impairment. And so when you were allocating central costs, which come out of your cash flow, once you've written all your assets down, there's nothing more to write down. I mean, you might have had an onerous provision, for example, but you can't go down below zero when you're writing your assets. Now, however, when you add in a right of use asset, and particularly if that right of use asset is a chunky number compared to where you were before, you've got a bigger CGU, you've still got the same central costs, which are cash outflows. And so you might find that they have to, you have to write down effectively most of that right of use asset. This is one example where I was saying earlier on, you do your impairment, you write down all your assets of your CGU pro rata. But clearly, if you don't have any other assets in your CGU because you've already written them off, yeah. the only one you've got is your right of use asset. And those central costs might cause cash flow problems in terms of looking at your net present value that you write the, the right of use asset and anything else in the CGU down. Wow. So it's got far-reaching impacts, it does. hasn't yes. it? Okay, so another point. Now, this might not apply. Some, lots of people, December year ends, probably yes. this is over for them. But just in case people have still got their financials open, what would happen if someone's listening and they've done something maybe in their interim accounts and they're thinking by year end, they maybe want to look at a different policy? Right, so so this is coming of the fact that when you transition into IFRS 16, there are some choices you can make around how you apply that and adopt it in the first place. And yes, you're right, we've seen a couple of instances where a company goes out with its first six-month interim report with its policies it's chosen for adopting IFRS 16. And then in the second half, I thought, you know, I did have a free choice to do this, and actually I'd like to do something different. Uh, an example of that might be Rather than doing an IS-36 test, I might want to just use my owner's lease provision as a, a practical expedient or vice versa. Um, where we are in our thinking is that you adopt your accounting policies for your year um, and you haven't yet got to your year end. So you are able to change your policy um, for the full year to say, well, I'm picking a slightly different policy choice, but I'm still complying with the new standard. Clearly, if you do that, you then just need to think through some reporting requirements around Oh, when I did my interims, I told you one thing. I'm now doing a very valid different thing, and I might just need to do some bridging the accounting and the disclosures to say, for the full year, this is what it looks like. I just want to tell you that if you were to look at that new position I've taken back up the half year, it might have moved some numbers. Okay, perfect. Really good advice there. Always, I feel like I need a t-shirt that says, just make sure you disclose. I was about to say, disclosure is all in these things, particularly if you're making a change that has a material difference. You know, you should disclose the impact of doing that. Yeah, I don't think I need to do these podcasts. I could just literally repeat yes. the same thing I said. <laughs> Adding value. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. So um, really helpful, I think, there. And I think the hard thing, when IFRS 16 or any new standard mm. comes in, you just focus on that new standard because there's so much to do anyway, mm. isn't there? And 16 specifically, you have to find all your lease contracts mm. and you forget that there's loads of other standards mm. that interact. So I think it's mm. been really helpful for us to hear mm. specifically for IFRS 36 what we need to do um any final messages or advice you can send people to well well i would say it's, it has been a, a wholesale change introducing IFRS 16 and, and those of you listening will know that you've had to spend a lot of time digging all this data out and actually finding data and in the is 36 part things you have to think about are do i need to change my discount rate and if i do need to change it how do i discover market-based information to help me calculate my WAC, for example weighted average cost of capital and 
that's challenging because there aren't many other people who have actually gone out with their reporting in the IFRS 16 world. So there has been, I suspect, a little bit more estimation in this reporting zone than we've had for a while. And that will fine tune and coalesce around you know, the market accepted answers. So there will be a need to probably make a few more estimates than you've done in the past. Come back to our classic, how much disclosure do I give yeah. around that? Do I give you slightly better sensitivity analysis as a result? Um, the in-brief that we mentioned earlier on... With the lovely we, picture. The, 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 yeah. right, so, so we've got an, an in-brief on our system that takes you through the um, impact on other accounting standards of IFRS 16, and that's worth a read. Brilliant. So you can find that on PwC Info. You can indeed, yes. Perfect. Thank you very much, Ian Selfridge. That was very amazing. Please come back and talk about impairment again. I it's always be. a happy subject. <laughs> so um, It's always with us, unfortunately. <laughs> I know. I feel like you will constantly bring out publications yeah. on impairment, especially at year end. Yes. <laughs> um, so thank you very much for joining us and thank you for listening. Happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.